She's sometimes sad, she's sometimes happy She's doing things to make her life less crappy Trying to treat men that's new on the scene Let's sit back and talk about ketamine Welcome to Ketamine Insights, a podcast about psychedelic medicine and mental health. We are not trained experts, and nothing in this podcast should be taken as medical advice. If you like what you hear, please support us through Patreon or Substack, or by sharing an episode with a friend. We really appreciate it. Today, we have an interview with a Ketamine Insights listener that I'm very excited to share. Here goes. Okay, today I feel really lucky to have a Ketamine Insights listener as our guest. Um, Amber, thank you so much for joining us. I'm so glad that you're here. How are you doing? I'm good, thank you. And thanks for having me. This is exciting. (laughs) Oh, no, we're so glad to have you. This is my very first interview with a listener. So I'm really excited to hear um, what you have to say and also kind of give the listeners, you know, a bit of a different perspective on um, what ketamine, you know, what it's like to have a ketamine experience. So, um, as we go along, please feel free to interrupt, ask questions and, um, skip any topics that you would rather not talk about. Okay, sure. Thank you. Yep. Um, all right. Tell us about yourself. Um, you know, just roughly how old are you? Where are you from? Um, yeah. So I just recently hit 39 years old. I'm I said, you know, I better make it good. It's the last one before my 40s. <laughs> um, but I mean, I don't know. It, that doesn't mean a lot to me. But yeah, so I'm I'm 39. Um, I live here in central Illinois. I'm in Peoria. Um, I haven't always been here. You know, I've left and come back, but we kind of joke that it's like a black hole. Like it seems like everybody who moves away eventually comes back, but probably because our families are here and things like yeah. that. But yeah, I mean, that's, that's me. Um, Great. I'm the same way. I left Chicago and came came back, I don't know, 15 years later. And it is nice. It's nice to be home. Yeah, for sure. Um, any other uh, background you'd like to share? Like, what do you do for a living or, or kind of, I don't know, any other little facts about you before we get started on the ketamine questions? Um, yeah, for sure. So I, I would expect that maybe we'll talk about themes. Um, and so one of the themes that I'll mention I had in my experience, um, is a lot about like grief and death. And so Mm. I wanted to kind of frame that up maybe for listeners. Um, cause that's, I think that sounds kind of grim, uh, but that's just sort of my everyday. I, uh, I went my degree, my first degree. And when I went to college, I went to mortuary school. So I'm a licensed funeral director and embalmer. Um, and then through that, I was able to kind of go into what I do in my current position, which is an autopsy technician. Um, so all of those jobs, you know, all those positions I, I love. Um, so it doesn't seem like dark and scary and grim to me. So if I talk too like bluntly or flippantly about death, it's kind of cause I just, that's where I live. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's the, it's your profession. It's your um, did you, so when you say autopsy technician, I'm just curious, are you carrying out autopsies? Is that what that means? Yeah. So I assist our pathologists. So the role looks different in different places. Uh, the doctor I work with, she prefers to do 
Like when you see it on TV, like you take out the organs and you weigh the organs and things like that. So that's my job really is to take everything out and hand it to her. And then she likes to do the weighing and the mm. uh, examination and, and all the portion that she does um, for, for her work. So I'm just really her assistant. I'm there to, to do whatever she needs me to do. Um, but yeah, it's largely um, doing evidence collection, uh, doing the evisceration, which is again, you know, removing the organs and, mm -hmm. and yeah, so it's, um, it's interesting. It, it's certainly, um, yeah, you see a lot, <laughs> I see bet. A lot of strange things. Um, what a job that's, I mean, I'm sure it's a, it, it seems like the kind of job that demands a lot of kind of respect and like, you know, kind of I don't know if you'd say awe, but like there's a there's a a specialness to it or a sense of like importance to the work that you do. It sounds like for sure. I'm so glad you said that because I um, sometimes I've described it as like the last good thing you could do for a person, like to care for mm -hmm. them on their way out of this world. And um, Sorry, I just lost my I lost my train of thought there first. No, that's such a beautiful way to put it. The last good thing you can do for a person. Yeah, yeah. They, that's really something. Wow. In the when I worked in the funeral home, I worked in the Chicago area, um, and I happened to work at a Jewish funeral home. So prior to to being there, I didn't know anything um, about their faith, but they call good deeds like mitzvahs, and mm. um, so they consider the care of their dead. Uh, to be kind of like a final mitzvah because it's something that can never be repaid. So you do it without any expectation that anything will come, you know, back to you for it. So it's considered a very selfless thing um, and, and a very good thing. And, and I've always, you know, treated it that way. That makes sense that you'd, that I love that idea that it's, it's special and that it's not transactional. Yeah, it's almost special in its one-sidedness because it's an act of service that is just service. It's not a give and take. Yeah, exactly. That's interesting. Okay, well, thank you for that. That's really I've never um, spoken to anybody in that field before, so that's really. I mean, I guess besides just funerals here and there, yeah, but that's yeah. always sort of. Usually it's good when you're not talking to people like us in, in, <laughs> the, in the world, like it might mean something bad has happened when you're talking to, to somebody like me. <laughs> Which makes it important, right? That it's done well and done carefully. Um, okay. So can you tell me about like um, the mental health challenges that you have faced um, going back as far as you'd like? Sure. Yeah. You know, I can't. I can't necessarily remember what drove me to initially seek help. Um, I, I did have, I lost a friend to suicide and I think that was probably part of the impact, but I can trace, I think my, my, I would say I have generalized depressive disorder, treatment, resistant depression, generalized anxiety. Um, and so I could almost think back even further than that. That happened when I was about 16, but even into like middle school, 
I was having like upset stomach and I thought I was having heart stuff going on. And my parents, you know, this was whatever, early nineties and they didn't necessarily know what to do. We they went to the doctor, the doctor sending us to GI doctors and heart specialists. And I was wearing heart monitors and things like that. Mm. And honestly, when I think back, I think all of that was symptomatic of undiagnosed anxiety. I think um, none of that was anything that was actually you know, wrong with me. And, and, and that, you know, the heart monitor didn't find anything, you know? So, so I think it started, you know, quite early, but, um, you know, it's kind of, there's been peaks and valleys, I guess I've been doing this. Like I said, I'm almost 40. If I started when I was, you know, 15 or 16, you know, I've been going a good 20 years at, Mm -hmm. at trying different therapies and, and, you know, some, sometimes things are good. Sometimes I haven't been on medication. Sometimes things are terrible and I'm take a whole handful. Like it's, mm-hmm. it's varied through the years and it's varied through my clinicians, through the jobs that I've had, the levels of stress that I've had, things like that. So it's kind of been a, it's been a journey for sure. It sounds like it's something that you've managed. It's a chronic condition. I mean, I'm in a similar situation. It's, it's chronic. It, it, we hope for it to get better, but at some point you you kind of settle into the reality that this is something that might come come and go throughout your whole life. Yeah. Is that right for you? Yeah. No, I, I think that I agree 100%. Like, and, and even some of my, you know, doctors and therapists and stuff, like we even kind of talk about that as an expectation. Like it's not always going to be amazing. Let's just talk about how we get get through the day and, you know, you know, take it one step at a time sort of thing. And I I think that's an important thing. Walking into uh, ketamine is, is, you know, you talk about setting intentions. I think it's also very important to set expectations. Right. Completely. I, I forget which episode number it was, but we did a whole episode on expectations and cognitive distortions and, you know, cures and quotation marks like is that even some is it helpful to even think of things in that ter- in that term of of curing or fixing yeah. um and a lot of the time it's not it's not actually a constructive way to think about it yeah um i think the for me like one of the things about dealing with chronic depression is that it's kind of a a part-time and sometimes a full-time job just to navigate the world of mental health care and try to figure out what you haven't tried yet and what might work next and how to best prepare and how to, you know, just yeah. navigating that world is really difficult. Well, and even finding somebody to, to be treated by, I mean, I, I, it's taken me quite some time. I, I love the person I see now um, as my psychiatrist, but unfortunately it's, I'm in a learning, a teaching university. And so once her residency is up, I'm going to lose her. And it's like, I love her so much, but that's the nature of the program. But, you know, even to find someone like her that I love so much and connect with so much, I mean, it's taken, it's taken years. And it's like you said, I mean, so much trial and error and, and, and that's tiresome. It it gets old. Right. And sometimes you don't even know what the metrics should be that you're judging the person on Mm -hmm. or, you know, yes. It's, it's a, it's a pile and of work. Sometimes it's the worst metric, which is, oh, this is who I can go because my insurance says so. I could get completely. on a big soapbox about that. Mm, yeah, completely. It's like, right. 
the choices are limited and and the yeah there's a there's a lot that goes into it besides just um what would be ideal <laughs> yeah yeah well that's the thing that kind of irks me when you know the talking heads on the news when well oh well we have a mental health epidemic okay well let's talk about how that's not easy like they act like oh we'll just come up with these simple solutions to cure that and it's like no that's that's not how it works right if you think that's how it works you you obviously don't have mental health issues or they're so bad you're delusional maybe Uh, yeah um the the yeah i don't know it's scary the mental health epidemic and it's i don't even know where to begin because it is so hard I feel like that's part of the reason for the podcast is because it's so, I feel like so many of us feel like we're out there by ourselves, you know, trying to figure this out and feeling like we're the only ones and that we must be doing something wrong because it's so difficult. But I feel like it's, it's really actually just that difficult. It's not that we're doing it poorly. It's just, it's a hard thing to, to do. Yeah. (laughs) Especially when you're sick. Yeah, absolutely. Do you remember where or how you first heard about ketamine therapy or how long ago was it? Um, you know, truthfully, I I don't think I can pinpoint when I heard about it. I think just it being out in the ether and me just always looking for, you know, something to help me. Um, you know, I kind of found out about it maybe side by side with psilocybin and how that is getting a lot of uh, medical trials now. And and I see those as kind of similar therapies, but with ketamine being the one that's accessible at the moment. And so while I don't honestly remember um, when it was, it, it just seems like it was always kind of there. And then as it became available, I thought, well, let's, let's try this for sure. And did you feel nervous about trying it or did you have any hesitations? How did you, like, how did you kind of approach the, the process of it? Was it um, intentional? Did you do a bunch of research? Did you just kind of go as quickly as you could into it or how did it go for you? No, I, I really did um, probably a disturbing amount of research. I was, I was trying not to, um, get my cloud or get my brain so like cloudy with other people's experiences that like I couldn't have my own, but mm-hmm. yet it, that it kind of goes back to expectations. I really was trying to know what I was getting myself into, what it was going to be like, you know, certainly it's a tremendous amount of money. And so, um, that was really kind of my only hesitation was this is going to be a significant out-of-pocket investment and what is that going to mean? And and what am I going to get from it? So I, you know, I listened to podcasts like yours was so incredibly helpful. I listened to others. Um, I, you know, looked at like Reddit and and those those people's experiences. And um, there's a show on I think it's Vice Channel, Hamilton's Pharmacopia. Um, it's very interesting. And so he had a ketamine episode. So I just tried to take in everything I possibly could, um, to learn about it. When I decided I was going to go forward with it, I, uh, consulted with three different places before I finally chose the one I was uh, going to be treated at. So, um, yeah, it wasn't, I didn't necessarily like 
just dive right in and be like, let's do it. It it was it was a little bit of work getting there. Sounds like it. You did your homework for sure. Yeah. Which makes sense. I mean, it's important, right? Even if it's important financially, but if it you want to optimize the chance that it'll work, even if it was free, you'd want to optimize the chance that it'll work. Well, certainly. Yeah, exactly. So you must have known then going into it, whether you wanted to do an infusion or what, you know, did you, and you chose infusions. Is that right? I did. Yes. Yeah. Um, That just, I I don't even remember why. I guess I just, it seemed like from what I was, the research I did, that was the one that had the most impact. Intermuscular kind of was a slow burn sort of thing. And, and the lozenges and stuff, I, you know, those, from what I was reading, those didn't seem like exactly what I wanted to do. And, and I just, I felt like this is the experience that a lot of the studies are based on. And, and a lot of the, what I was reading, um, were experiences based on IV infusion. So, um, that was, that was an easy choice for me. And did you find a psychedelic, a a therapist trained in psychedelic assisted psychotherapy? I did. Yes. And she was so wonderful. And I think it was a really important part of it. I mean, they talk about in a integration and that is, um, you know, that's where the work is. And that's, I think that's where you, you gain the most. And so having her to be able to help me kind of digest my experiences uh, was, was really, really good. And I met with her before we even, before I even started. And so I had like a pre-infusion session uh, where we, you know, we talked about intentions. We talked about what's it going to be like. Maybe uh, we talked about what if, you know, what if this doesn't work? You know, I, I was mm-hmm. kind of putting all my eggs in in this ketamine basket of like this is going to be it. This is awesome. And so, you know, again, I had to get my expectations a little bit lower to, you know, to where you know it, it may not work. So, yeah, I yeah, that's so important because I feel like if it if you get if you're expecting a hundred percent improvement and you get an eighty percent improvement, you hate to be disappointed with an eighty percent improvement. It's right, phenomenal. Right. Yeah. It's all about how you look at things, I guess. How maybe did you find the, the sorry? I was gonna say maybe I see the this bad side the pessimistic side of things. <laughs> oh, me too. I know it's part of the it's part of the problem, right? Right, right. Prepare for the worst. Yeah. What, um, how did you find your therapist, the one who helped you with ketamine in particular? Was it, were you Googling around or did you like, was it word of mouth or? Yeah, no, it was just a Google search. Um, it happened that I do believe she's based in Illinois, uh, but with, you know, with technology now and the ability to do zoom calls and, and things like that, that's how we met. Um, but yeah, I, I was just looking up specifically people who were trained in um, either psychedelics or even just what they broadly call plant-based medicine. Mm-hmm. And did so when you did the infusion, it sounds like they weren't there. She wasn't there with you in the room or anything, but you would meet with her afterwards. Is that how it worked? Or would you yeah. meet up together at the clinic or? Um, we never met in person. We did everything via Zoom. Um, and we didn't meet after every single time. And it also wasn't immediately after. So we had a pre-infusion, I think the morning of the the day of my first treatment. 
We met, I think the next day. And then I think I did like two treatments. We met again, two treatments, we met again. And then we had like a final one or something like that. So, so it wasn't every single one, but um, it was, even that number was, was helpful and, and very important. I, I don't regret doing that at all. In fact, I, I enjoyed her particular um, therapies. I thought her rapport was so good that I am even considering just reaching out to her again to see if we can, um, if I can get in an appointment without having the ketamine. And like, yeah. You know, she, cause she was so wonderful. So that's um, great. When you meet someone who you jive with well, that's that makes such a big difference in the therapeutic relationship. Oh yeah, it really did. And and she made a big difference in, you know, when we would uh, unpacking things, I guess is how you put it. You know, I would I would tell her what my experience was and and she would kind of help to be one of the people to help remember. Um and she was the one who advised me to have a person, another person to help, you know, me remember. Because she, you know, she was explaining ketamine, you know, it's an amnesiac. And so, um, you know, I had my husband kind of with me. And so he could kind of pick up on things that I was mentioning or trends and um, stuff like that. I was not just alone in a room. I think that's what a lot of people's experience is based on what I have listened to. And the two consultations I went to, it was going to just kind of be we're going to monitor you on a screen and you're just alone in a room. And mm-hmm. that was totally not how mine went. So um, that's that great. Different. It sounds like it, like just having someone there with you actually during the infusion, like you could feel the presence and you, it made a difference during the trip. You think? Well, it did. And also for, you know, for better or worse, I don't know. I was engaging for a lot of the time that we were, doing things, or if there was something, I put a lot of pressure on myself during this because I knew I had, you know, these limited amount of treatments and I wanted to, like you said, just optimize it and get just the absolute best and get the most out of it I could. So the very first one I'm thinking, I said a few times, like, am I doing this right? Like I'm screwing, I kept saying like, I'm screwing this up. I'm effing Mm. this up. (laughs) And, um, but it was interesting because, yeah, I was there. The uh, nurse anesthetist who was doing the infusion, she was right there. She stayed with me the whole time. And then my husband was in the room the whole time. And so I was very much engaging with both of them throughout the whole experience. And when I wanted to be quiet and just have it happen, it, that was there too. Um, but wow, yeah, that's interesting. I've never been able to talk really during an infusion. I don't know if I've tried, but it's, I don't know if it's ever occurred to me. I'm definitely not communicating during the experience itself. That's really interesting to hear. And were they talking back to you? Like you could not really having a conversation, but you're engaging with each other. No. Yeah. We would have like, like full on, like not a conversation because you figure this is what 60 minutes, but we, there would be little, like a minute or two little threads throughout it, mm-hmm. um, which was funny because there were so many things that made it funny at certain times. And I remember like wanting to laugh and thinking like, I'm probably not supposed to laugh during this. And um, I don't know. Yeah, no, lots of stuff came up. The other thing that I think was a little bit different and where the conversational bit 
comes in is my nurse didn't just stick to the weight-based dose. And my understanding is that's how everyone's experience kind of is, is you just get the weight-based dose. Uh, the nurse that I was with, uh, as she put it, she liked to push the limits of the of the drug. And she's like, you know, you're paying a lot for this. I want you to have the best experience. So I wasn't just strictly set on 50 milligrams, which I think is the usual dose mm-hmm. for the average dose for most people, she would push it. So my first time when I was there, I think I had, I think the number was 66 milligrams and we were talking. And as she was, you know, doing the infusion and she was saying like, well, I can tell you're not reacting because you're still like, you're still with it too much. And so that kind of helped her to know that like, I wasn't responding to the weight-based dose that I needed more. So she was kind of monitoring it as you went, it sounds like. And yeah, for okay, sure. that's great. And and even to when she says she pushed the limits, like she even did that. And and she got me to a couple points where I felt a little fearful and I felt a little bit like, okay, I, I'm ready to to pull out of this a little bit. But I would just let her know, like, okay, I'm feeling kind of overwhelmed. Um and then that's great back a little bit. So, yeah, it sounds like, and you, you kind of got a good vibe from her and had good communication between the two of you. It sounds like that's really great. I haven't heard of it going that way before with like sort of monitoring throughout the whole, throughout the actual experience throughout the 60 minutes or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. No, it, it made it, it made it really interesting. Um, I I'm glad it happened that way, to be honest, because I just like, I was able to remember things that came up because I was talking out loud, like I said. So, mm-hmm. so my husband was able to kind of help me with, with that. And then it just, I don't know. I just felt like it was a, it was a good experience. I, I, when I was doing the consultations and everyone was explaining, I was basically alone in a room and I just had, you know, a basically a, blood pressure cuff and they're watching me on a monitor, which is, you know, like nothing if you're actually having a problem. Um, and so I felt even a little bit uncomfortable about that. And so having it happen the total opposite way without me needing, you know, having to say anything was, was really nice. I think. That's great. Yeah. I mean, they say like set and setting, right? Like your mindset and your physical, surroundings make such a big difference. Um, And to have a setting where you felt safe and kind of cared for, I feel like that makes such a big difference. Is there a, um, is there a like physical or not physical, but like, is there, or do you get visuals or is there like a physical sensation or um, that you get often during trips? Like uh, not situations, but you know, I like for me, for example, I often feel myself like I feel like the ceiling coming down or me pulling the ceiling over me like a blanket. And it sounds kind of claustrophobic, but it's actually very comforting. Like you're kind of cozy. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's kind of the setting that I see myself in often during ketamine. I've talked to one other person who is always in a jungle, which is interesting because I don't know oh, if they've ever spent gosh. time in an actual jungle. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> No, Do you get anything no. like that or um my my trips were unexpected. I had I had never had any kind of psychedelics before. I know a lot of people who've, you know, done plenty of acid, done plenty of recreational 
mushrooms. I've I've never done any of that. So this was my I didn't know what to expect in my, you know, my first dive into psychedelics. Um but mine was it was very weird. Um my visuals were very uh geometric almost like there was lots of angles uh almost like i was looking into a corner of a room um i also saw everything in black and white i never saw any color and i thought that was odd i mentioned it to the therapist and um she said that you know everything that i was describing was w- within the normal realm of things that that people experience but i thought that was super odd um Sometimes the visuals were almost like kaleidoscopic. Um, But yeah, like you said, like a warmness. Uh, We, I was seated in a, like a big giant fluffy lazy boy recliner. And then she put a weighted blanket over me. So that weighted blanket was really nice. Excuse me. And so I was, of course, very, I just felt very warm and safe. I almost described it the first experience is like a purgatory because everything just seemed like, okay, it wasn't amazing. It wasn't terrible. Everything was just kind of peaceful and calm and clear and like clean and just like, it just felt very safe. Hmm. It, Did- I was just going to say at the same time, I also had elements though um, of like coming down uh, where I could feel, I could feel it kind of leaving my system. I could feel it pulling off. And, and that was how I would know I was done was I would come back into the room and all of a sudden I could feel the chair underneath me again. And I could feel, you know, the setting around me coming back into, into focus. And I'd be like, Oh man, it's over. (laughs) Like I'm disappointed because it felt so good to be in that safe, warm, like lovely space where everything was okay. And so when I'd start coming back into the real world, I'd think, no, like maybe I understand why people are drug addicts. Cause I'm like, <laughs> I don't want to come back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know. I, I, I thought actually about doing a episode of the podcast about coming back because I, it can be kind of difficult Oh my goodness. I think that that was the hardest part and that that was why having an integration of person was so necessary because I almost like it, there was almost a, a spell of bad depression afterwards and the, and it didn't last very long, but the way I described it to my husband, it was like ketamine showed me a, a house where every single window and door was open and every single open window and door led to a a brilliant possibility. And it showed me what the possibilities could all be. But as I would slowly come back into reality, one by one, those windows and those doors would close around me and I would just come back and be like, Oh, I'm back in the same, you know, locked in the same house. But again, so that was, that was hard, but like I said, it didn't last long. Thankfully, uh, it, it would be a fleeting, you know, depression. Um, mm. But little things like that were important to having that that therapist. And she told me that the when most people slump, it's like two weeks after their their last session. Um, that that can kind of be you can get some like rebounding, is what she called it. Mm. And I think I probably experienced a little bit of that too. Um, so, you know, it wasn't all 
amazing, but I think that it wasn't because the ketamine, it just like, I don't know. It's an interesting experience. I, I wish everybody could do it. Honestly, I like. I told you, my husband's name is Joe. I told Joe, I was like, you know, I, let's save up and let's have you do one <laughs> because I wanted <laughs> him to like have the experience because it's it's cool to like reach this inner part of your mind, but also you got to be kind of ready for it and you got to be ready for what you might find in there. Mm. Yeah, I think that's one of the main fears people have is like facing that internal world, whatever, you know, people are scared of what they might find. Yeah. That's such an interesting way to describe it, that the a, a house with all the doors and windows open. That's, I love that image. Did you ever feel the presence of, of anybody that you know, or like any people um, while you were under, while you were tripping, I guess? Um, you know, presence seems like a, a strong word, but um, I did think of my sister a lot. Um, my older sister, she was seven years older than me. Uh, she died in 2008 from complications of epilepsy. Mm-hmm. And so I, for, and I don't know why, but she, she definitely was on my mind. Quite a few things made me remember her. Um, and I talked to the therapist about that because, you know, gr- grief in general, uh, kind of, always showed itself. Uh, and I suspect I do have unresolved grief, but, uh, you know, you just, I don't know, you don't, you don't think about it or you try to push yourself on. That was another thing that was interesting about the ketamine is like, I've never done that much introspection in my mm. whole entire life. Like I'm seeing my regular therapist. I'm seeing this ketamine therapist now, like twice a week. Like I was doing so much like self-reflection and, and looking inward that I was like, geez, this is like, this in itself is like exhausting and like wearing yeah. me out. So yeah, I got it's like it. a boot camp of therapy or something. Seriously. I mean, it really was. So get ready to like, look at yourself hard. You know, it's like, damn, this is kind of a lot. Yeah. It can, and it can be, I mean, it can be, it usually is, I think, exhausting, especially that first regimen before you start doing the upkeep infusions, if that's what you choose to do. Like, yeah, those first where it's like every other day or every third day for a week or two, it's so intense. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Did you find that the intentions that you had chosen influenced the trip experience or not really? Um. A little bit because I mentioned I put a lot of pressure on myself to like get the most out of this. And so I, and I was fretting about remembering things. And so yeah. uh, I talked to my therapist and I talked to the nurse and uh, about recording a session so that that way I could go back and, and it, experience it. And would that be a good idea or bad? And everybody said like, do whatever you want. Like this is your, your time and, and your, your choice. And so I did just turn my phone audio on record. I didn't need to, never need to see myself doing anything. Um, But I did have the audio on and um, I didn't, I don't think that made a big difference, but my intention for that day was to just like let go and don't worry about remembering. And if I say something that needs remembered, I've got this audio thing going. So I could hopefully rest my conscious mind. I was 
always fighting a little bit with like the inability to let go and like fully get in. Like I, and I talked, maybe that was because of the nature of how we were doing things. And I could talk versus if I was alone in a room, that would have, you know, been a different experience, but. um, Mm. That's interesting. I, yeah, I think the, I've recorded not session, not in fusion, because I'm silent, there's nothing to record. In. <laughs> but this, the in, in the integration session immediately following, and then sometimes when I listen to it again later, it is surprising because you, I've forgotten half of the things that that happened during the trip. Yeah, and that those memories were available to me immediately afterward, but not a day later. Yeah, but then when I listen to the recording, I'll be like, "Oh yeah, that did happen," or "Oh yeah, you know." And I, I did think that, and I had this opinion about that all of a sudden, or what? You know, it was good to have that recording because it, I felt like there were bits of insight that otherwise might be lost, at least to my conscious brain. Like maybe it's done some good on some other level, but yeah. um, the uh, did you ever have a? challenging trip or like you know a lot of people are afraid of um so-called bad trips did you ever feel like things were really more than you could handle or out of control or um you know i don't think so i mentioned that my the nurse anesthetist she would really kind of push it to the limit so once in a while yeah she we would get to a point where not necessarily like it wasn't bad but my, I could see, I could feel my anxiety, like kind of coming into the trip. And it, it was like, wait a minute, this is supposed to be my like safe place. <laughs> and now like, I'm, I'm starting to get some anxieties here in the trip. And, and so then that's when I would, you know, mention to her, I need to, I need to pull back. But at the same time, uh, another thing that my psychedelic therapist said, and they, and uh, the nurse pushed is make sure you can, you know, try to let go and try to go into it. So I, I hope I, you know, had rode that line of like letting myself go and letting myself in and then feeling like, ah, oh, this isn't quite right for me. And then, and then yeah. coming back out. And that was the thing too, that was important about the intention. I tried to, you know, I, when I would talk about it or think about it, it would of course, be broad and, and be a number of thoughts, but I would always try to narrow it down to just one sentence. Like today I'm going to try not to remember or something, uh, or today I'm going to let go and, and Mm. get fully immersed. And so, uh, I would use my intention almost like an anchor when I would get too scared. So I could either repeat it for myself when I was feeling anxiety or, just being a naturally anxious person for my whole life, I've got plenty of coping mechanisms. So I would, you know, start to, you know, breathe or, or, you know, kind of do some of the things I do in my conscious life to control anxiety and panic attacks and things. I would do that when I'd get to that brink in the ketamine experience where I was like almost too deep. I could kind of help myself out of it too. Yeah, That's, it's great to hear. I think a lot of the, tools that we have in everyday life feel unavailable when you're high on ketamine, (laughs) but also um, some of them still are available or the practice of 
you know, if you're, if you have a meditative practice or mindfulness or breathing or, you know, those, if you've done it for a long time, they're, they're, they're kind of fail safes that you can fall back on, even if you don't have a great grasp of what's going on or what room you're in or, yeah. um, I, I agree. I feel like the, there's something about watching yourself or like, I've felt that way during infusions. Like you say, if you're trying to remember it, it kind of pulls you out of the experience a little bit. Mm-hmm. I've had that exact that exact same feeling where it's like, oh, this is an important insight. I need to remember this from for when I like go back to the normal world. And then you're like, oh yeah, the normal world. And you're like, oh no, no, I'm not. <laughs> yeah, right. No, thoughts come in and out faster than I felt like I could process sometimes. Um, where I, and almost in like, in a way that I wanted to explore a thought like, Oh, like this, I remember this, but then that would bring up another thing that would like trigger. It was almost like word association. I was playing with myself where like one thought would trigger another would trigger another. And, and it's like, no, I I need to remember all of these. But but, I mean, there was really no need. I'm sure it was most of it was garbage, (laughs) like the, you know, just silliness. But but I feel like you're like trying to pick up, like put them into a basket or something and they're rolling away from you. Like, no, I need these insights. Yeah. Yeah. Like the pressure to make it work. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I think that's so difficult to let go of, especially if, you know, there's a lot riding on it. You're hoping to get better. You're hoping not to waste all this money. You're hoping, hoping, hoping. Yeah. Um, Did you feel like there's anything? I remember my therapist once asking me when I had kind of reached a slump in therapy and he was saying, what do you think the drug is trying to teach you? Or what do you think ketamine has to teach you? and it was funny because it seems like such a woo-woo question, but I knew the answer immediately. For me, it was just very simple. In that moment, at least, it was just like, it's not your fault. All this, your illness and all those things, like, you didn't do this. It's not your fault. And um, that's not necessarily something that I've like, I know that's true, you know, but you have difficulty at the same time believing it mm-hmm. at some points in your life, um, for me at least. And so it was you know, it's something I feel like ketamine's trying to teach me that and I'm still trying to learn it. You know what I mean? Oh, um, did you have anything like that, that you feel like they were tr- the ket- the drug or the medicine or whatever is trying to get through to you? Um, yeah, you know, well, the grief showing itself, I think was important. Um, I think that is something I need to explore more. I haven't yet, but I, um, I have an appointment with a new therapist in December cause it's taking that long to get in. Um, Ugh. but yeah, you know, I, I think that's something that I do need to explore. And it was interesting that it was such a theme and, but in general, what I liked about it was it, I felt like the ketamine helped me to just loosen up a little. I don't mean to be, but I think in life I'm kind of uptight, not like in like a stuffy, not fun way, but just like an anxiety way, I guess. I'm just wound kind of tight. And the ketamine really allowed me to relax enough to like let some different ideas in and, and see some connections in the world. And, and like, I, 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 said to my therapist in my 
you know, before I walked into it, I was worried that, you know, I heard a lot of people having these spiritual experiences and I very much consider myself um, an atheist and a skeptic. And so I told her, I was like, you know, am I even going to be able to have these beautiful experiences because I'm going to be so skeptical of it all or, or whatever. And thankfully I was still able to have that, but I do think it opened my mind to, Hey, maybe we are all sort of like connected in this world. And I certainly didn't find God or anything like that, but it, like I said, it just allowed me to like relax things a little bit. I don't have to be so aggressive about any of my opinions or anything, you know, it's just kind of, I think taught me to slow down um, mm. maybe a little bit and, yeah. and trying to find meaning in, in, in the mundane, I guess. I love that. I think that's really helpful. Um, is there on like on kind of the flip side of that, do you feel like there's something that people who are thinking about doing ketamine as a treatment um, should not expect it to do? Like, you know, like it's good for this, but it's definitely not so much good for that. Well, you know, everybody's different. So everybody will experience it differently. Just like yeah. as it goes with, you know, you, if you're in the, under the care of a psychiatrist long enough, you'll hear that 50,000 times as they throw every different pill that exists yeah. at you, you know? And so, but, but there is value to the point to the thought of every medicine is going to affect someone differently. Um, so I don't know. Uh, I just think that in my research and listening to people's stories, I did hear a lot of stories of people who were like, after the first visit, everything was different. My life's amazing. I'm like, okay, like <laughs> maybe, but I just, you know, so just be cautious. I, I advise everyone to be cautious and think about what's going to happen if this doesn't work. And, and what are you, how, where are you going to go from, from there? Cause for me, you know, I did, I knew I had that a limited amount in the beginning and I actually never went and got any boosters because I thought would want, you know, I did seven, I didn't do six. I I thought seven was a better number, <laughs> lucky number mm-hmm. seven. So I did seven <laughs> and my thought was, okay is one more or two more going to do it? Three, four? No, I, I I saw it as something that I would have to probably do long term. And I just, right now, I don't have the financial ability to do that. And so I, prior to doing the ketamine and on, with my doctor, I did not do it on my own. Um, I got off of everything. I was taking no like psychotropic medications, no antidepressants, um, I, wow. I didn't, cause I told my doc, I don't even know what my baseline is. I've been taking something pretty much my entire, since I was 16 years old, you know, I don't mm-hmm. even understand what my normal, like just raw baseline is. Uh, I abstain from alcohol, any kind of recreational marijuana, anything like that. So my system was as clean as it's been since the day I was born. And I did that to try to allow like the ketamine to just really have a chance to, to do what it was going to do. But, you know, knowing that I wasn't going to be able to do it long term, I had to think about what's going to happen if this doesn't, you know, quote unquote work. Um, I didn't think that I was going to just suddenly be cured. Uh, 
I was hoping that it would help me. And I think that it did. Um, I, of course, now I'm, I'm back on uh, some medication, you know, afterwards. So, uh, you know, it didn't help me to to stay off of it, but it was valuable. Um, it was a very valuable experience. I, I want to do it as often as I can afford to. I want, mm-hmm. I think it's cool. I mean, I think it's interesting to, to just explore the inside of your own head and, and get out of that conscious world a little bit. So then that was actually one of the things I read, like the top 10 things, like something not to do or to do or something about ketamine. And it was like, don't go out and start telling everybody they need to do this. But I'm like, no, <laughs> that's the first thing I want to do because like, I feel like it can, it could help, you know, it's just, it was a neat experience. So I just, anybody who's looking to do it, if, if you can give it a try and I hope it works, but just figure out if, and maybe when it doesn't like, don't, don't let that bring you so far back down that you, you know, you've reversed the, the better that you just had. I think that's such a good exercise to go through before you start. Ketamine is just, yeah. To say, what if this doesn't work and just have that kind of in your brain that you've explored it and that that won't be the end of the world. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. It's always about Um, expectations. Right. Yeah. And, and you said something, I think we talked earlier about music that you were listening. Were you listening to the same music every time? Yeah, it was interesting. I had, um, that was something that was stressful to me because I, I, on your podcast, um, when you guys were talking about like whether something has words or doesn't have words and, and this and that. And so then I go into my first session and the nurse is saying she's going to talk to me and whatever. So I just, my playlist was just pushed aside. She put on something on YouTube that was a ketamine mix. It was very like pure moodsy kind of deal. Um, And that was fine. But the, what was funny is the music I was listening to in the moment meant very little, but in my trips, I had a lot of music and songs that would come to me just that I liked. And so I joked that uh, I would, I had carried a diary with me. And as soon as I came out and we got in the car, we'd sit in the parking lot for a minute and I'd jot down all my initial like thoughts while I was like still in it. And a lot of times those thoughts would be a song. And so I can almost put together like a full ketamine mixtape of, of like the songs that came to me while I was in the experience. And, and the, this, what was in the background didn't really mean a lot other than it was just nice to have something to focus on if there was a moment where my brain wasn't already somewhere else, but my brain was so busy. And I know you guys talked about, um, you know, if it had lyrics, maybe it would bring you out of it. My, I was, um, she had a blood pressure cuff on me that went off every, I think 10 minutes or 15 minutes or something like that. And so that, when that would kick in, I would kind of come out of whatever I was in anyways. And so that like there were so many interruptions already. The music just w- wasn't as primary as I thought it was going to be when I pictured what the what the scenario was going to be like. Interesting. So, and the songs that came to you weren't songs you were making up, but they were like songs that you've heard in your life that came back to you during an infusion. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Huh. For some reason, something like a lyric would strike me or something mm. would come into my mind and 
So that's so cool. So now you can put together those songs. Yeah, that's kind of yeah, exactly. that's great. Huh. Ketamine mixtape. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, do you have any tips for um, people about physical comfort? You mentioned a weighted blanket before. Was there anything else that helped you like stay physically comfortable? Yeah, the weighted blanket was definitely very nice. Um, I like them in my normal life for mm-hmm. my anxiety and. Um, it was, it was really, really nice. And I also found a blindfold to be important to me because I didn't always want to have my eyes shut, but I didn't necessarily want to be like in the room I was in. And so, um, I had, uh, I got a really like nice fitting blindfold, um, that I put on and the room where I was, was quite cold. (laughs) And so Mm -hmm. I bundled up. That was important to me to be really like, like just warm and comfortable and, um, that's pretty much it. Just be as, make yourself as comfortable as possible. Um, I would say too, I thought before I consulted with other people and my therapist, I thought I was going to have this treatment on like a Tuesday and roll into work Wednesday morning. <laughs> and mm-hmm. I was kind of like, no, like, it's not quite like that. Like you might want to give yourself some time. And so that was something where I, you know, that I, that's something I'd warn people is don't expect to just come right back in with all full energy. Um, it takes yeah. a little bit. I think that's something that, yeah, that's definitely a good thing about like preparing, like being ready to not, you know, just enjoy those 72 hours or however long you have afterwards, not try to yeah. go right back into getting yelled at by your boss or who, you know, whatever pressure you have in your life, like try to take a mini vacation after it if possible. Yeah. And take that time to just really focus on doing the work that needs to be done, whatever that means to you and whatever that is in your life, like take some, take some time to really focus and give it a shot. Um, okay. So we're going to just do a quick round, I guess, if that's all Mm -hmm. right with you. Okay, so lightning round. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Like a real, like we're actually a podcast. (laughs) Okay, so I'm going to ask you if you have any advice or kind of even druthers, like, oh, I wish this group of people would act like this or, you know, I, you know, little tips or advice for um, what is it? Five different groups and feel free to skip if you don't uh, have anything that you like from these people. Okay. Okay. So the first one is, do you have any advice for um, ketamine clinicians or the people who work in the ketamine clinic? Um, yeah. So I, I would, if, if it is not usual to experiment with the dosing, I think that should be the norm because if you're, you know, if you're paying all this money to have something, Mm. you know, to receive this treatment and you don't react to 50 milligrams, uh, then, then I think that you need the space to, to play with that a little bit. And I don't know if everyone does that. So, Mm -hmm. so I think that would be important. Um, this is going against the lightning round, but I did as part of one of my, um, you know, mental illness journey things is I actually Mm -hmm. did genetic testing, um, it was called gene site. And what it was supposed to do was to test how my body metabolizes, you know, all of the drugs that are out there. So every, yes, I've done the same thing. Yes. Yeah. It's really so interesting. That was so cool. And so interesting. And, and so if, if you can see that about Prozac, why it doesn't, 
it seems logical to me that you would see that with ketamine. So maybe starting on the beginning dose, like that doesn't, isn't going to work for everyone. So if clinician, if you're going to see a clinician, who's just going to keep you at that 50 milligrams per kilogram or whatever that standard is, and they're not willing to play with it, uh, to how your body is reacting, I would say, find a different clinician. (laughs) Hmm. Yeah. Okay. Um, any advice, uh, for psychiatrists or other physicians? You know, I've been really lucky that I have um, my primary care and my psychiatrist. Everybody has been really on board with me and really super supportive. But I understand that that is not going to be the case. Um, Not everybody's going to have an open mind with something like this. I think a lot of people, um, you know, there's already a bad enough stigma around mental health anyways. And I think a lot of people feel you know, funny about telling people they take antidepressants even. And so Mm -hmm. if you're telling someone that you're doing something like ketamine, which might seem kind of drastic, I could see that as coming with some judgment. And so I'm so lucky that I had all the support that I had, but I know that that's not always the case. And so, you know, hopefully, hopefully to psychiatrists and physicians, things like that, just don't, don't be judgy. Yeah, and don't, and don't be so old in your ways too. If you get some old curmudgeon that you know isn't, totally. isn't progressive, you know you got to find somebody that's that's willing to work with with you on things. Great. Um, what about for therapists? Kind of, kind of the same. I, I would, yeah, the same category. Just be, you know, if if you have somebody who isn't supportive of that, again, I think you need a new therapist. It was it's so important to find somebody that you have a good rapport with. And so if you have somebody who's not behind you or doesn't believe in the therapy, then I think that would cause a struggle. Yeah. I once had a physician going back to physicians. I was, was working with a doctor who was like a holistic doctor and was doing um, acupuncture and all kinds of other stuff. And I liked him fine. And then I told him I was considering I think it was TMS or ECT. I was considering, you know, some of the other interventions. And um, he said, oh, that's a hard no. Oh. And I was like, excuse me? (laughs) (laughs) Like, yeah, I was like, that's not, I mean, it just changed my attitude toward him so immediately and completely. Yeah. This is not your decision. I'm the person in charge of my treatment, sir. Like, what are you talking about? Yeah, and to and to even say it so bluntly, like, ugh, that, yeah, that would be a huge a huge turn off in a in a back and forth like that. No, <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, okay. So back to the lightning round. Uh, do you have any advice for members of a support network, like friends or family of someone who's going through it? Um, you know, just just maybe be there to listen. I found that I really wanted to talk about the experience a lot. And I think that was in a way me sort of digesting it and me unpacking it by doing it kind of out loud with, you know, mostly with my husband, but um, you know, if if you can be supportive and if you can be there to listen, I think that's going to mean the world. And if you're, if you're the driver and you know, you are, you're going to be there and be in the room, like be, be that person's memory and, and help them out because it, it is really hard to, to try to remember what, what you need to work on when you're, <laughs> when you're in it. Yeah, totally. Okay, great. And final question. 
uh, any advice or tips that you haven't already given for depressed people themselves or people struggling really with any mental illness? Um, I know that's kind of a big question for a lightning oh, round. Yeah. Oh yeah, and I'm and I'm certainly not qualified to to tell people you know what to do. One thing that my uh, uh, the psychedelic therapist said was you know even if you don't trip, remember that your body is still receiving the medicine. And so she was, and she was kind of emphasizing, even if you don't, you know, your body's receiving the medicine, no matter what you necessarily remember or think happened, like it's, it's still in there. And so I think that's important to remember. Um, And again, just, she said, you know, look for, look for hope in the little things. And if it's light, if the little mundane things in life are just a little bit lighter uh, and, and your quality of life is just a little bit better, um, then that's a sign that it's working. And, and if it, it might just be by the tiniest little increment, um, but, but see that increment as, as a big leap. Um, because, you know, I, I think that, I think that's important. And then like my doctor said, you know, don't ever give up too for depressed people. I don't know that ketamine necessarily worked for me. I, I loved my sessions. I would do it again and again. I just, uh, you know, overall, I don't think that was, that wasn't the thing. And, and it is for a lot of people. It just wasn't for me. So now I'm looking at, you know, other, other things. And so for depressed people, just my doctor said, you know, just try not to give up because there's always something, there's always going to be another thing to try. Yeah. Yeah. I'm crossing my fingers for MDMA. It's supposed to be approved in 2024. And okay. I just can't, I'm, I can't wait, honestly, because I think a lot of the, a lot of the treatment resistance mm-hmm. for a lot of people, I think it's really true for a lot of people who have treatment resistant depression. I have a feeling it's very true for me is that it's just trauma. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, 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 I don't know if you'd even consider that separate or whatever, but it's like the thing that's making it hard to heal is that it's an MDMA is supposed to be very, very good for overcoming PTSD and yeah, I think my next journey, I think is going to be into psilocybin and microdosing there. Um, I, there's some, there's some ways you can do it that are kind of more on the up and up than others. And mm-hmm. so, um, you know, I think that's probably going to be where my next journey takes me. Cause I think there's a lot of value in, you know, in psychedelic medicine uh, and in plant-based medicine. Um, so I want to continue it certainly. Cool. Uh, Yeah. It's such an exciting, I mean, it's been so long since real new breakthroughs were happening in mental health. I'm so excited for this period. Yeah, for sure. Thankfully we need it, right? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Amber, for this time. I really appreciate you sharing your um, experience and your insights with us. This was really fun. I really haven't had the chance to talk to anybody this in depth before about their own experience. So this was really valuable just for me personally. Yeah. Well, and I hope it's valuable for other people. I really appreciate you having me on and I appreciate what you do. Like I said, when, when I was doing my research, your podcast was such a huge part of it. And um, yeah, I I hope I can just pay, you know, pay it forward and, and help someone else along the way. That's fantastic to hear. I think that's one of the lessons of ketamine, right? It's like, you're not alone. We're not in this by ourselves, as lonely as it might feel sometimes. Exactly.
Thanks for listening to this episode. If you liked it, please share it with someone who might find it helpful. And if you want to help keep the podcast going, you can support us by subscribing through Patreon or Substack. Just go to those platforms and search for Ketamine Insights. This episode was hosted and produced by me, Molly Dunn. Our theme song is by Solid State Symphony. Remember to advocate for yourself and never ration your joy. She's sometimes sad, she's sometimes happy She's doing things to make her life less crappy Trying a treatment that's new on the scene Let's sit back